Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Fresh Vision Church here in El Paso, Texas. Um, thank you all for joining us, for spending your Sunday morning with us, and we hope that everyone here is blessed. Um, for those of you watching and listening online, uh, watching this live either on Facebook or on YouTube, I also want to personally thank you for uh, checking out this video, checking us out here. Um, we hope that by the time this message is over, you will have been blessed. Um, we have been praying for you. I've been praying for you. If you all have any comments or questions, please leave them in the description box or uh, on again, Facebook or YouTube. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to know how you've been blessed or maybe how we can do these streams just a little bit better. Uh, those kind of suggestions are also welcomed. If you have any prayer requests, please feel free to send us those too. Um, you can also, uh, on Facebook, you can message me. Uh, we have a Twitter account also where you can send us a message there. There's several ways you can. Um, you can do that. You can also go to our website, and that website address is fvcelp.org. And uh, down at the bottom of our homepage, we have uh, a prayer request form there where you can fill that out, and uh, it'll come directly to me. I'll, I'll get it. I'll pray for you. If you want me to get back to you, let me know, and I'll get back. I'll do that as soon as I can. Um, but there on our website, you will find all the information you need or you may want or have about our church. Um, where we're located, times, um, statement of faith or COVID guidelines, pretty much, you know, I think I covered all the bases there. So uh, please uh, check it out. If that doesn't answer your questions, again, get a hold of me. My number's on there. Um, and... Uh, I'll be more than happy to answer those questions for you as well. Happy New Year. We hope that this upcoming year, 2021, uh, the Lord will bless you. The Lord will draw you near to him, that he will shower you with his love and mercy and grace. Um, pray that you will also just draw near to him. Uh, and the best way to do that is getting is is coming to him through his word. Um, listening to his word, studying his word. So uh, make it an effort to to make that a resolution this year. Now that a new year has begun, I thought that it would be good for us to begin 2021 in a new book we haven't that we haven't gone through uh, yet in in the Old Testament. So for the next several months. We're going to be reading, studying, dissecting, going over um, the first and second books of Samuel. Now I know and I understand that both of those book have both of those books have a combination of fifty-five chapters. So um, I'm not planning on being there for two, three years, um, but uh, I will park myself wherever the Lord is leading me, wherever the Lord is is asking me to to definitely stay for a bit and share the message that He wants me to, to give to you all. So again, that's where we'll be and 
Many of you are probably aware that these two Old Testament books contain some of the most beloved narratives in the Bible. For example, the stories of Samuel, David and Goliath, David and Jonathan, David's flight from Saul, his kindness towards Mephibosheth, and his sorrow over his son Absalom's rebellion and death. On a more doctrinal level, these books have contributed to Israel's concept of Messiah and how Jesus Christ fulfills the Davidic covenant. So with the combination of these stories and an occasional poetic section, First and Second Samuel reveal a lot about the acts of God in Israel's early monarchy. Thus, these two books will not only paint an amazing historical picture of an ancient time, but if you listen and read carefully, you'll find within the entire narrative hidden Easter eggs regarding Jesus Christ. Now, what I intend to do this morning, and if you've been with us for a while, you know that this is what I typically do, is to give you all a very good overview of this book, this first book that we're going to be covering, 1 Samuel. So that before that, before we begin covering it, before we begin reading it, you'll have a general idea of what exactly is going on here. You see, I like to do this because one of the best ways to know where you're at is by knowing how exactly you got there. Now, I want to begin by asking you to think about a simple question. What is success? Now, some of you, like, you know, and I know that many others do as well, um, say that it's that success is simply achieving your goals. But how do you know those goals are worth achieving? Are you, are you a success? If you reach com- contempt, contemptible goals by dishonorable means, some spell success with dollar signs. But if money is a measure of success, then Jesus was a dismal failure. Adolf Hitler had a frightening definition of success, the sole and earthly judge of right and wrong. In short, might makes right. Well, 1 Samuel in particular, and 1 Samuel, and in particular this book here, is a book about success and failure, both in individuals and in a nation. The nation of Israel failed. Eli and his sons were failures. King Saul started out a success, but soon became a failure. In this first book, we're going to see, however, 
We're going to see, however, that David was a success in his character, his conduct, and service. He was a man after God's own heart. And so what you discover is that actually success is a byproduct of something something much more bigger, something much more important. Try not to become a man of success, wrote Albert Einstein, but rather try to become a man of value. Values involve character, which is why Theodore Roosevelt said, the chief factor in any man's success or failure must be his own character. Eli the priest and Saul the king both had reputations but David had character. So as we go through this book, it'll become apparent that his character, that is David's character and skills, were developed in private long before they were demonstrated in public. See, ladies and gentlemen, until individuals, churches, and nations start emphasizing character and obedience, then there can never really be true success. Only through faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to his will can we have godly character and the kind of success that will survive in the fires of God's judgment. What was true of King Uzziah can be also true of us. In Second Chronicles 26.5, he said, He sought God. During that time he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So before I go any further, let's pray and ask God to bless us this morning, and then we'll jump right into this overview. Lord God, thank you for having us here this morning. Thank you for a new year brand new year, brand new opportunities, Lord. May we not look back on failures, all the horrible things that happened to us this this year, Lord, and may we just focus, keep our eyes on the cross, keep our eyes on you, keep our eyes forward to what lies ahead, Lord. Yes, there will be challenges this year. There will be heartaches, there will be difficulties, Lord, but help us to just... Keep our eyes focused on you because this is the only way we'll be able to get through them, Lord. But we also pray that you will help us to see the beautiful blessings, Lord. The blessings that you shower us with, Lord. Whether it be our children, whether it be just taking a walk, the park, um, whatever it may be, Lord. May we see them. May we glorify you for them. May we worship you every single day. Lord, so bless this time now, Lord, as as we get into this overview of of the books of Samuel and so that when we start really digging into it, Lord, we are better prepared to, to, to know what's going on. Fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Open our eyes and ears to hear from you. Bless those that are watching and listening as well. 
whatever they're going through, whatever they're suffering, Lord. Comfort them. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me start off by saying that without First and Second Samuel, there would be a gaping hole in the Old Testament canon. So these books are instrumental in bridging the gap between the judges and the full establishment of the royal line of David. Now also it's important to know that both of these books, First and Second Samuel, were originally one book. When the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek, which is the Septuagint, Samuel was divided into two books for convenience. And ever since then, every version of the Old Testament, including printed Hebrew Bibles, have basically conformed to this standard, to this division. All right, so in regards to 1 Samuel, 20th century pastor and theologian J. Sidlow Baxter said this, For sheer interest, 1 Samuel is unsurpassed. Not only does it recount eventful history, it is eventful history interwoven with the biographies of three colorful, colorful personalities, Samuel, Saul, David. And it's around these three that the chapters are grouped, unquote. Now, by the time chapter 1 of 1 Samuel begins, Israel has essentially become a loosely organized tribal league that had been living under poor spiritual leadership. Nevertheless, God never abandoned them. And the plan he had for his people continued to move forward. In this book, we're going to see how he raised up Samuel to guide Israel's transition from a theocracy to a monarchy. From there, the story will transition to Saul's kingship. And the rest of the book will tell us why God rejected Saul and how God raised up David. And then later on, in a few months, when we get to 2 Samuel, the main focus of that entire book will be on David's kingship. So now let me share with you some pertinent background information. First, let's start with who wrote both books and when. Now, Jewish tradition makes Samuel the author of the book. Now, if so, this, of course, can only apply to the events during his own lifetime. Because, see, since much of the events or much of the material in these books take place after Samuel's death, it's really uncertain. The reality is it's really uncertain, you know, who might have written, who might have authored the remainder of 1 Samuel and all of 2 Samuel. So he might, Samuel might have written that the first 24, 25 chapters of 1 Samuel, but um, uh, he died not too long after that. So 
might have been someone else. Therefore, a, a lot of people consider it, a lot of scholars and theologians and people who study the Bible, it's easier for them to consider that the writer was anonymous. Now, some scholars have suggested that possibly one of the young prophets who studied under Samuel might have completed the book. Another possibility is that Abiathar, a priest who would be accustomed to keeping close records, compiled the book. And again, always keep in mind that although I'm mentioning, there are certain times I'm going to mention 1 Samuel in, in particular, but again, we have to remember these, this originally was one big book. So it could have been Ab- Abiathar um, who compiled the book. He was closely associated with David's career and even spent time in exile. Now, additionally, the date of the books of Samuel is impossible to pinpoint. Again, some have said that the early part might date from about 1000 BC. The argument is that if since there's no reference, no references made to the captivity of Israel that had occurred in 722 BC, that it must have been written long before that happened. However, there are others who believe that because references to Israel and Judah, there are references there of Israel and Judah, a date after 931 BC is certainly possible. As I mentioned earlier, the events described in First and Second Samuel center around the lives of three important figures, Samuel, Saul, and David. First Samuel opens up with a narrative of Samuel's birth, an event, an event which occurred toward the end of the 12th century, about 1120 B.C., 2 Samuel concludes with a story of a royal succession in which David, on his deathbed, made provisions for his son Solomon to follow him on the throne. Therefore, historians believe that this may have occurred, this, well, historians believe that this may have occurred around 971 BC. So if these dates are more or less accurate than the entire period that we're talking about here in, the, in these two books, and the books of Samuel consist of about 150 years. The 300 or so years of history of Israel under the judges were marked by political, moral, and spiritual anarchy and deterioration. Well, the situation was so pervasive that even the sons of Eli, the high priest at the end of the 12th century, had completely apostatized, became apostates, and had used their priestly office to take advantage of people for their own gain, for their own pursuits. But just when it seemed that the nation would cave in in its own rottenness. 
God intervened. And in response to godly Hannah's prayers, she gave young Samuel, well, God gave young Samuel to her and to the nation. Samuel's strong leadership as judge, prophet, and priest provided respite to the people from both internal and external threats. Unfortunately, however, when he became old and a successor was needed, it was evident to all that his own sons were unfit to take his place. This factor, coupled with the encroachments of the Ammonites on the east side of the Jordan River, prompted Israel to demand of Samuel that he give them a king like all the other nations. Though disturbed by this request, which implied the rejection of Yahweh as their king, Samuel granted it and selected Saul to be king. A selection determined and sanctioned by God himself. Thus, the monarchy was established in Israel. Now, without a doubt, the circumstances and timing of its creation were improper. But the concept of human royalty was a part of God's plan. As revealed as early as the time of the patriarchs. Well, with the selection and anointing of David, Israel's second king, Samuel lived to see the inauguration of the dynastic kingship, which God had promised as part of his messianic redemptive plan. The books of Samuel then embrace that critical period of Israel's history, from judgeship to monarchy, from loose tribal affiliation to strong to a strong central government. Now keep this in mind as well as we go through these books here. The narrator, the person telling the story, recounted the history from God's point of view. You see, since the Lord is the ultimate author of the account, he's the ultimate author of that book, the narrator's perspective is the perspective of the Lord himself. So whomever whomever God used, whether it was Samuel in the beginning or one of the other prophets, um, or a student of, uh, of Samuel, God used that narrator. And you're going to see clearly how much of a gifted storyteller he was. His skillful use, use of irony, humor, flashback, and dramatic tension and resolution is astounding. The narrative will demand your imaginative participation in the events themselves in order to help you see 
how your own story, by God's grace, can fit into and is a part of the big story of redemption. Unforgettable characters, real people, dot the narrative landscape. Now the, narr- the narrator devotes many chapters to David. Next to Moses, no other person captured Israel's imagination like David, Israel's greatest king. He set the bar high, and as a result, every king that pre- preceded him were evaluated by that bar. They had to meet that standard. Truly, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet the Spirit of God didn't hide his terrible sin that we'll read about when we get to Second Samuel chapter 11. More than anyone else, the Lord is met in First and Second Samuel by us, the readers. First and Second Samuel are truly his story, as is all of Scripture. And the next thing I want to move on to are the themes and purpose that this book was written. In general, the overall theme of Samuel is how God, Israel's true king, at the people's request, delegated royal sovereignty sovereignty, first to Saul and then to David and then to his lineage. Eugene Merrill ties the books in nicely with the theme of the whole Bible. He said this, and I quote, Also through David's royal house, his greater son, Jesus Christ, eventually became incarnate. Christ perfectly exercised kingship in his own life and provided in his death and resurrection the basis on which all people who believe can reign with and through him. Unquote. Now, in 1 Samuel, several themes feature prominently. And I'll just point out three of them. First one is providence, meaning God repeatedly made everyday events work for his purposes. He used Hannah's contentious relationship with Penaniah led Samuel, led Saul to Samuel during Saul's search for lost donkeys and caused David to learn of Goliath while taking food to his brothers. These are just but a few examples. Again, providence. Next one is king, kingship. As a divine king, God designated a human king who was once a simple shepherd to rule over his people. This history validates David's house as the legitimate rulers of Israel. It also fulfills Jacob's promise that the scepter will never depart from Judah, David's tribe. 
And thirdly, reversal of human fortune. Hannah's barrenness gave way to children. Samuel became prophet instead of Eli's son. Saul rose to prominence, though he was from a lowly tribe. And David was anointed king, though he was the youngest son. Normal human patterns were reversed by God so that his plan could be furthered, showing his sovereignty overall. Now these two books were meant to encourage people living in Judah at a time of the divided kingdom to walk with the Lord in both faith in, in bold faith and to honor him in all circumstances. The narrator's objective was to see the readers or, or see them shun and reject evil choices. The choices of unbelief and disobedience. Bad choices that leave devastating consequences in their wake. To see this purpose achieved, the narrator regarded the lives of people such as Hannah, Samuel, Saul, Jonathan, David, and others. His purpose, however, was not merely to share information, but to see, but to see more Samuels, Davids, Hannahs, Abigails, and mighty men and women raised up in Israel as a result of their faith. One commentator said, the biblical record of Israel's beginnings as a political nation are masterfully recorded to give us not only an accurate historical document, but also to present significant spiritual lessons concerning the effects of sin, the workings of the Holy Spirit, and the sovereignty of God. Unquote. Now the most significant purpose of first and second first and second Samuel is to point to the ultimate son of David, the Messiah, using David as the central character. The story of Samuel was included since he was the prophet who anointed kings. Saul's story was included as a foil for example as an, a, an example of a king not after the heart of God unlike David. David's story, however, is central to both books. We will see him develop from a shepherd boy to warrior, to fugitive, to king, to failure, to exile, to restoration as king. He's thus depicted as the ideal king. Central to his story is that God promised to give him a descendant with an eternal house, kingdom, and throne. This promise is called the Davidic kingdom or the Davidic covenant and is essential to this book because it is the Messiah. It is Jesus Christ who will reign as 
the eternal king. Now, throughout these two books, you'll, there are three key messages that I discovered. I'm sure there are many more, you know, but I broke it down into three key messages and, and, and principles. First one is leadership. The books of First and Second Samuel provide numerous examples of good and bad leadership. When leaders focus their their attention on the Lord and saw their leadership roles as instruments for his glory, they flourished. However, when they abandoned the Lord and used their offices for their own gain, they failed. We can apply that to the leadership maybe, yeah, the leadership we have around us, not just in our offices and our places of employment, but also in churches and political office. Believe me, those leaders who hold on to the Lord are led by him will find themselves flourishing. However, those who are far from the Lord, those who want nothing to do with Him and are in it for themselves and in it to make a name for themselves and for self-glorification and self-achievement, again, you're going to see them eventually fall in one way or another. The lives of Eli and his sons, plus the lives of Samuel, Saul, David, and others consistently illustrate these principles. The second key message here in in these books is God's sovereignty. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel highlight God's provision at Israel's every turn. He provided good spiritual leadership through Samuel. And he provided Israel its first king. Though kingship was not his perfect will for his people at that time, he provided his people the leaders and resources they needed to defeat their enemies and to live out his purpose on the land though both people and leaders often failed him. And thirdly, sin's consequences. The books of First and Second Samuel, they do, they take sin seriously, describing in detail the awful consequences of sin, even forgiven sin. Saul's disobedience of God led to his his estrangement from his son Jonathan and from David and ultimately led to his death in battle. David's sin with Bathsheba, though forgiven, brought consequences that haunted David the rest of his life. Once again, let me repeat those three messages and principles that you'll find here. Leadership, God's sovereignty, sin's consequences. 
I hope that you will consider these as you study on your own these things and if eventually you want to be a leader, whether it's in your schools, whether it's in your employment, even if you have a desire to maybe one day take on or go into politics, seek political office, these principles, these messages you'll find here will help you to understand what to do, what not to do, what direction to go in, what not direction to go in. And the importance, again, of just no matter how hard it gets, holding on to the Lord, being obedient to His will, regardless if the whole, everyone around you isn't doing the right thing, is sinning, you do the right thing because you know it's right in the eyes of God. I don't know about you, but I do. I want to be known as a person that's, you know, a person that uh, is after God's own heart. I don't want to fail him. David's rule, his kingdom, testified to the amazing to the amazing works the Lord could and would do through a life yielded to him. Israel's second king seemed quite aware of God's blessing in his life and displayed a tender heart towards the things of God. Later generations would receive a blessing because of David's life. God's special covenant with David found its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the son of David. The consequences of David's sin with Bathsheba, however, stand as a warning to all who experience sin's attraction. And we all know how attractive and appealing sin can be. It can pull us right in. Sin knows where our weakness is, where we're the weakest. Whether it's pride, whether it's jealousy, whether it's gossiping, whether it's hatred, whether it's drunkenness, drugs, pornography. I mean, you can go on and on. Gambling. It draws us in and knows what we're attracted to and it wants to pull us in. But again, we can learn lessons here in this book and how to avoid all that. God holds us. His children, born again believers, accountable for our actions and even forgiven sin can have terrible consequences. See, ladies and gentlemen, just because you've been forgiven, just because you've been saved, just because you are born again, it doesn't mean that all your sins go away. Yes, they get wiped out. You're you're made white as snow. The Lord won't hold it against you anymore. 
But there's still consequences. You still have to pay consequences, the consequences for those sins. You murder someone, doesn't mean that that murder goes away. doesn't mean that you won't have to pay for that. No. You might have to do some time. Prison, jail, wherever it may be. But understand this, the Lord can and will use you wherever you're at. You know, I know several people that, you know, that were caught in maybe an adulterous affair and they turned their lives around, they gave their lives to the Lord and now they feel that they can go back to that relationship to that marriage as if nothing ever happened. Well, there's still a lot of pain there. There's still a lot of hurt. So the consequences are still there. And so it might take time. It might take a long time for that healing to take place. Yeah, people can forgive and you can ask for forgiveness and all that, but Sometimes it does it. You know, time heals these wounds, and sometimes those wounds can easily open up. So, again, just be aware of that. That you know, it there will still be consequences for your sins. Don't think that they're all going to go away in an instant once you give yourself, once you give your life over to the Lord. And so, what will these two books show you personally, each and every single one of you personally? Well, again, the Lord will, I believe the Lord will speak to you personally through every chapter of this book. He might have a message for you. He might have something personally for you. He might reveal things to you that you never knew. He might reaffirm things that you knew and you just needed to hear again. But in general, these books here will show you that just as, that God is just as sovereign now in the 21st century as he was when Samuel was written. And he will accomplish his purposes with or without your cooperation. But as was true in the lives of Samuel, Saul, and David, your response to God, to God's call, affects your outcome. So again, the question is, will you obey him as Samuel and David did and live lives marked by blessing? Or will you, like Saul, try to live on your own terms? 1 Samuel 15.22 In 1 Samuel 15.22, Samuel told Saul to obey is better than sacrifice. The fact of the matter is, 
that truth that that truth still speaks to all of us today. God wants your obedience. You can sacrifice all your wealth, all your stuff, all your possessions, and and you can be at the church and serving, and you can do all kinds of things. But if you're not living in obedience to him, it's what what are you doing it for? That's what God wants is for you to live in obedience to him. And I know it's challenging. I know it's hard. But he will give you the strength. He will give you what you need in order to accomplish that. But you got to come to him. You got to come to him. And at times you got to come to him on your knees. Lord, help me. Help me with this. I'm struggling. I can't do it. I need you. He will. He'll come through with you for you. He knows your heart. Friends, church, I know that in human history, it may appear that truth is forever on the scaffold and wrong is forever on the throne. But that isn't heaven's point of view. As we go through 1 Samuel, it will become abundantly clear to you that God is always in control while he's long-suffering and merciful and answers the prayers of his people. He is also holy and just and punishes sin, whether immediately in time, but eventually in the eternal perspective, he will punish sin. You all know that we're living in a chaotic time, a time of radical change. I don't know what 2021 is going to bring. Someone mentioned that, and it was good, it was, I'm glad I heard that, but that 2020, 2020 was a commercial for 2021. That may be the case. Who knows? But again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on in this world. And not just in our own country, but also all over the world. And for this reason, because of this, the church needs leaders like Samuel who will help God's people understand where they've been, who they are, and what they're called to do. Men and women are needed to step up, to lead. Yeah, you may think that you're just a house mom, or you, you know, no one important, or that you're just, you know, you just work a menial job working at Dunkin' Donuts. But everybody, 
Everybody who has a heart for God has the potential to be a great leader like Samuel, like David. Remember again, David was just a lowly shepherd boy, the youngest of his family. In no way in a million years did anyone expect that expect that he was going to be the second king of Israel. So let me tell you that there's a lot of potential for you, for each and every single one of you. God can use you in amazing and mighty ways. I mentioned this to everybody here and you know, 10 years, 15 years ago, if you would have asked me, I would be up here now. I would be, I would have Now I, that he has me here, I can do nothing but glorify him and praise him. Again, I don't think I'm anyone important. I don't think I'm anyone big. I don't, I don't have the reputation of some of these mega pastors that have these mega churches. But I know where my heart is, and the Lord knows where my heart is as well. And I will continue to honor him. I will continue to praise him and glorify him i will continue as the best i can but the you know just to follow him to be obedient to him and i know that he's just going to continue to use me to do some great things i don't know i don't know what really what lives are being changed what lives are being affected by me sharing these messages Maybe nobody is out there listening. Maybe there isn't, you know. But who knows, five, ten years from now, these messages will be out there. And it could radically transform someone's life. So again, out there, plant those seeds. Be a witness of what God has done in your life. Testify to it. Share it with others. In God's kingdom, you're not a nobody. You're a somebody. Every single one of you. I pray during this upcoming year and as we go through 1 Samuel and Second Samuel together that you as a Christian and us as a church will do that with individuals, with people, and in our community. Now, one of the things I also wanted to do before we get into this next week is to speak to those who out there listening and watching that maybe haven't yet surrendered your life to the Lord. You, or maybe you've lived your life, you began to live your life in disobedience, you walked away from the Lord. It's never too late to come back to the Lord. It's never too late to come to the cross and ask Him to forgive you. So if you're 
at a point where you've tried all kinds of things and and nothing has given you satisfaction. Every, everything you've tried has just continued to leave that still a hole in your heart that just hasn't been able to be filled. Why don't you fill it with Jesus Christ? Sure, you, I promise you that he will fill it. And that's all you're going to need. You're not going to need anything else. So if you're ready to finally surrender your life, to come to the cross and make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, again, there's no better time than in a new year, to begin a new year by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. So if you're ready to do that, ready to receive forgiveness of your sins, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And wherever you're at, pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And I'll turn from my sins. I repent and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my newborn again life. In your name, amen. If you pray that prayer, Get a hold of us. Let us know you did. We want to hear from you. We want to pray with you. Maybe, you know, whatever it is we can do to minister to you. So again, reach out to us. We invite you if you're here in the local area in El Paso. We're in the northeast, the corner of Gateway South and Hondo Pass. And uh, we want to, we have a chair for you, waiting just for you to come and, and join us. And we want to bless you. Thank you for watching this week. Thank you for joining us. Um, may you have a blessed week. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye and farewell.